Hello, hello, and welcome to Sustainability Explored. Every week, this podcast navigates a new topic through interviews with the most disruptive minds in sustainability, turning their experiences working behind the scenes into actionable advice you can implement and use in your life no matter your background. My name is Anna. I'm an environmentalist, sustainability consultant, and the host of this very show. And today with me, I have Angela Djurashkovic. She is coming from Montenegro, environmental activist. She has her own environmental online educational business, and this is going to become our topic for today. It's going to become our focus. Angela, I let you introduce yourself. What exactly you do in Montenegro and beyond and how you started your path in sustainability. Thank you so much, Anna. Hello, everyone, whether you're listening or watching. Uh, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, my name is Angela Jurashkovic, and as Anna uh, announced me, I'm an environmental activist, uh, recently more going toward uh, educator and entrepreneur. So recently I founded my own company. It's an online company called EcoKorean LLC, and uh, it focuses on environmental education, mainly targeting the wider audience. So it uh, focuses on teaching people how to green their lifestyles. Uh, in their household, how to green their business practices, and the third pillar, which is the pillar I am mostly focused on in the past few months and have been most fo focused on in the past few months, is teaching people who are within the community of environmentalists, environmental educators, and activists how to bridge the gap between what they are doing and the wider audiences, the so-called lay people bringing focus onto the effectiveness of their communication. So communicating environmental topics, doing education in a way that is approachable, that is understandable, and that has that connection visible from the perspective uh, of the person who is listening, not only from the perspective of us who are trying to make people realize how important it is to talk about, whether it's climate crisis, environmentalism in general, or any specific topic within it. So the company is young. It's only 2.5 months young. Uh, I started uh, it as an Instagram page uh, on purpose uh, more than half a year ago with the idea to first start listening, to start gathering. I had the audience that I wanted to address in mind, mostly millennials, people from the Western Balkans region, from mostly from the former Yugoslav region, who uh, understand the language and who are interested in environmental topics, but uh, are not necessarily directly involved in it through their work. And they have... Uh, recognize, for example, that maybe plastic is a problem, waste is a problem, illegal activities all over the place are a problem for the environment, but they don't know what to do with that awareness. It started slowly. First, I began talking with people online. Uh, I introduced an online uh, book club, and every month, uh, we've seen for seven months now, we have been reading a green title related to uh, sustainability, but Again, that is not so uh, written in a way that requires a person to be um, educated for a specific degree. So it's so-called popular science and it has been going wonderfully. 
people are interested. It's a small community. It's increasing slowly, but I realize that the, especially now with the pandemic, the market is saturated with online content and to have people come back month after month, for me, it's a success already. And it's a very exciting process and it's really, really rewarding just to be there and to, to have those uh, conversations with the people. Now, as for myself, uh, I'm 27 years old. I'm uh, from Olsin, from the Montenegrin seaside, currently living in Podgorica, the capital city. I have uh, gotten a master's degree in environmental policy and before that a bachelor's degree in journalism. My first steps in the environmental uh, circles were in elementary school when I began attending cleanup activities and reforestation activities. And then in the past, let's say 10 years through high school and uh, university studies, I began attending uh, different types of seminars, uh, then later uh, international uh, events where I represented Montenegro on conferences and workshops related to sustainability. Later then worked for the NGO sector after, again, I, as I mentioned, volunteering for quite some time. And also uh, I worked for a short time through one program by Climate Kick uh, for a startup in Malta. So there was that business experience. And then, of course, since I had a degree in journalism, there was uh, a few years of experience of writing on topics related to sustainability. So I like to call myself a very versatile eco-enthusiast with a degree in social sciences. And that basically, uh, I think, what I do in short. <laughs> Having worked in media, NGO sector, startup, now having your own company, what would you say are the set of soft skills that one should possess to be successful in all four areas? Or maybe how it's different to be in one of each of these areas? Well, that's a great question. I think the skill set is the same, but the way we approach it is different. For example, as I grow, grow older and, and more uh, involved into the, the field of sustainability from a different uh, points of view, I see how important empathy is and the ability to listen. Now, for journalists, that listening is mostly related to listening to the types of stories you people listening, first of all, to, in order to find the story, then to see what people want to hear, especially in the clickbait area we uh, want to we, we are living in. But also it's being a journalist requires because of that constantly juggling between what is your intention to do and then the need of the market to tailor the content that you are creating in order for it to first of all be visible to people. Because you can create a wonderful report on something, a wonderful feature, and it can be pushed somewhere to the side and uh, up in front can be different types of pseudoscience articles. And then that's another problem that journalists have to uh, have and that also have to uh, deal with. And it also has to do with listening. So finding that balance between what we were taught uh, during studies to when you report on something to give both sides an equal uh, place to be heard. But at the same time, especially when it comes to uh, topics related to the climate crisis, not letting it seem like the person who has the facts backing them, 
that are related to how serious climate crisis really is to have the same weight in the article as the person who is talking about pseudoscience. So that's listening from the perspective of a journalist. Listening from the perspective of a business is listening because business essentially is making money by solving problems for people. For this area specifically, it also has to do with solving the problems people don't necessarily think they should pay for, for them to be solved. Because especially in developing countries like Montenegro, environmental topics are still something that uh, the wider community dominantly believes uh, should be addressed by uh, activists, by people from relevant institutions. So me as a lay person should deal with putting food on the table, working nine to five, seeing how will I survive uh, during the times of the pandemic, which is especially a stressful time. Uh, and we, we need to understand that. But then not tying the uh, idea of making money by also bringing some kind of benefit to the community with the way of me making money. So there's, there's that gap. The people who want to be entrepreneurs and who want to work in a sustainable way have to have the ability to listen to what do people need and then listening to the needs of the ecosystem and to their own ethical guidance guidances yes ethical compass thank you on how do i merge the two and then for ngos uh, it's again about listening but also about constant research because there's so many things to do i i often joke that I don't have to move out of Montenegro in order to find a job. If it were for environmental problems only, I would have enough work here for a lifetime, although it's a small uh, country, one of the smaller ones in Europe. And it's true, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I can make a living by addressing all of them. And the NGO sector has that position of bridging the gap between an institution and the lay people and uh, bringing into focus some destruction from the front lines. So when there's uh, people uh, building small hydropower plants and invading a certain community, especially in rural areas, and especially now when there's times of isolation, when people can't go out in the street and protest as in a way that we could do before, before the pandemic. So there's that aspect of listening, but also constantly juggling because you want to be seen, you want to be effective, but you also need to constantly apply for funds, research, how can you finance your work, and you can't do it alone. And you also need to listen to your own needs because otherwise you'll burn out in the process. So for me, the, the main soft skill would be listening. I wanted to ask you, you mentioned briefly activism, mm -hmm. activism in digital era. Mm -hmm. How does it happen? You know, previously, and I see a lot of people on, on the net uh, joking about Greta Thunberg. Aha, uh -huh, now in the lockdown, in the pandemic, where are all those activists? Where, activists, where is Greta when the streets are closed? How to express yourself? How to express your voice in terms of environmental activism, especially in the digital era? How successful were you and the team? Uh, 
So, so far it's going well, but there are some uh, elements that one should have in mind that can make, uh, that can easily get people off track. And if you're off track in that way, then you're more contributing to the problem than to the process of solving it. And that's clicktivism. So the clicktivism in its essence, environmental clicktivism in its essence is publishing online content that is engaging, but of small risk. So there's small risk for you in publishing it, in expressing your, your needs or your unmet needs in that way, expressing support for someone in a low risk way, and in a way that isn't necessarily requiring a lot of involvement from you. So it's shallow. And that can be a huge danger now because people can post a lot of photos online of them holding different types of uh, transparents from their houses, demonstrating support for someone. Uh, and then on the other side for them continuing their usual practices, I don't know, throwing trash out of the window of their cars while driving uh, to work, things like that, or more recently taking off their one single-use masks and then throwing them wherever, not where medical waste should be placed. So collectivism is a huge problem. And what I've seen in, uh, is an increasingly growing number of petitions, petitions, and then petitions on various platforms. And people don't even sometimes do the research before that to see, does my government, does the person I, or institution or organization I want to address even accept signatures collected through this platform? What can I do? How many are enough? Uh, and then it gives people who sign the petition, who share a certain photo, who share a certain video, who read a certain article, that false sense of having contributed to something when, in fact, it's energy being wasted. So that's a huge danger of the online space. And the only way I've seen that you can go around it uh, is by clearly sitting down, putting on a piece of paper of what is it that you want to accomplish, and then putting down also the list of levels of how can people contribute and then putting that list online whenever you communicate uh, the message that you want to communicate. For example, it can be an, let's say, Instagram post saying a like makes no difference. What makes a difference is a donation to our organization on this account in minimally this amount. Then that is the way of you to make sure that the person seeing that uh, post and liking it, even though they're liking it, they know it's not the minimum amount of effort required to show support for your work. So defining those levels. And then I always suggest using levels because people, first of all, it's gamification that always works turning life into a game, especially now, the, the more fun, the merrier, giving people options when it comes to how much they feel they want to be involved. So for someone, maybe a donation can be a level two or level three, but level one can be 
copying the text of an email and then emailing their representative on the local level because you started an email campaign and you want to flood the inbox of a certain public administration office. So uh, defining those levels is very effective because then usually people who consider themselves as environmentalists will go for the top tiers immediately. And you can ensure that there is a a slighter, uh, the, uh, the chances of energy being wasted in the process are much, much smaller. You mentioned, well, you are in the online, you use online space as yes. a tool for education. And this is what your business is about. Can you tell us more about your business? What exactly yes. you sell? How does it work? What's the goal? And who are the ideal customers? Uh, so uh, the business so far uh, has an online course. It's the first online course in this language area dealing with an environmental topics and more uh, precisely the first, well, the business is the first organization specifically targeting environmental communication. It's not such a popular topic yet uh, here because... By the way, thinks, which language? Which uh, language? Well, it's called the BCM group, Bosnian, Croatian, Montenegrin, Serbian group of languages. Essentially, it's Montenegrin because I'm I'm from Montenegro, but it can be understood by the people from the, uh, mm-hmm. who are speaking no the... No content the, the, in the, English. The, yeah, there's no content in English yet. Uh, my analysis, the, the research I've done uh, before uh, starting my work has shown that there's a lot of content in English. And in fact, when I uh, asked the people who are already in the book club, uh, there's about 20 uh, something, 24, 25 people at the moment in it, whether they would be interested in continuing to come to our meetings and continuing reading once we run out of titles that are written in our languages, because that number of titles isn't so large at the moment. And then switching to English, not all of them were were so uh, happy. They would, yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. They would come to discussions. They said that they would uh, gladly listen to others, maybe hear someone give the summary of what the book was all about, but they don't feel that much confidence into their language skills in order to read um, into uh, in English language. And for me, that was a clear sign uh, that there's a gap in the market. Okay, there's a lot of, con- there's so much content in English available. There's also so much content in our uh, languages, but it's sitting somewhere in PDF files, in Excel t- tables, and it needs to be brought into the public eye, but it needs to be done in a way that's not so aggressive, that's not so full of putting pressure on people, shaming people. And that's how I, first of all, went at the same time in the direction of publishing content in this, in this group of languages, but also publishing content related to uh, science communication, more specifically environmental communication. So that's the first, uh, the first product. It's the online course. It's available for purchasing online. Uh, it has uh, four videos and it's a six-day course, meaning on the first and the last day uh, you get evaluation, a survey to fill out so that I can gain some more uh, insights into your needs, into your ambitions, why you want to, uh, what you're working on, what's your goals. And then on each of the four days, there are there's a video lesson. 
and a workbook to accompany it. And then on the fourth day, there's also a, an ebook called 101 Ideas for Your Online Content that can be adapted for anyone depending on their needs for uh, any type of online content, uh, whether it's for social media, for blogs, podcasts, and uh, that is all related to uh, environmental topics. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of that one, I have to say. <laughs> That's amazing. But my question is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm asking this question in my head and I'm stopping myself at the same time. How to incentivize people to pay for it, given the fact that there is so much free available information online, um, different languages, different authors. What is your hook? How do you make it sellable for me I, I, I will add a, a little bit why i'm uh -huh. stopping myself is also because you know you take for example nutrition sure mm -hmm. there is lots of free information online on all sorts of diets all sorts of products but you need a curator probably is uh -huh. the right word to walk you through that content the masses of the content um, in an understandable environmentally friendly you know really ecological way so what is it in your case are you curating are you selling it as a curator uh, for me uh, i'm selling it as uh, from a point of applicable no matter what you're doing so there there's not that aspect of i've done all the job for you it's here's a workbook here's a, a video lesson but there's also the part that you need to do in order for it to be more uh, effective because the key aspect of all and while i'm selling it uh, the key word is effectiveness so making communication more effective not wasting time not wasting opportunities to engage someone not pushing them away and uh, from what i've seen in in talk while talking to people is that the hook has actually turned out to be people's oversaturation with negative content. There is a lot of content on environmental topics already, but there's so much shame being involved, so much putting pressure on people, so much uh, from the negative uh, side. And I understand it completely because only what is happening right now and what has happened already, so not talking about the predictions and possible scenarios, is enough to make... Uh, we're lucky we have defense, mechanism, uh, defense mechanisms because otherwise we would fall apart completely from all the... Uh, all the bad things that are happening at the moment. So it's not uh, unusual that it makes a person who is in the environmental field, whether through academic work, NGO work, institution or, or uh, business, feel maybe even some guilt if they wanted to uh, communicate with others in a more positive way or by focusing on creativity, by focusing on solutions rather than focusing on problems. So for me, it's understandable, but also research and practice show that it's inefficient and that it uh, is not effective as well. It also can have a completely opposite effect while you're putting pressure on people to change their behaviors, you're contributing to the whole area of sustainability and people involved in it looking like this negative bubble 
And especially in times when there's so much negativity, we can look at the political situations all over the world, my country included. Uh, we can look at the uh, health situation all over the world. People don't need another bubble that's negative where there's constantly going to be others telling them they're wrong. They're not doing enough. And that's exactly what's happening. So for me, the, the biggest magnet has been creating a place and creating a product that's not that, that actually advocates for another way and kind of goes through the, the, the pressures of others because there, there's people who are not happy with, there's always people who are not happy with positive approach to this. And they're usually pretty vocal about it. Uh, but I'm also pretty vocal about defending what I think is necessary and what I read and constantly research about and can see that um, makes a difference. It, it, it became a magnet. That aspect of here's something that's positive, but it's a guide and it will help me involve people because people, myself being included as well up to recently, are tired from being pushed negative content down their throats, but are also tired of them having to persuade others. And usually they're surprised when the message I get most often is, how do I persuade my colleague, family member uh, to change this or that type of behavior? And my answer is always the same. First of all, you don't persuade them no one likes persuading and we can't live in a world where I personally hate being told what to do and then through my job constantly telling people what to do it's it makes no sense so starting with ourselves so what do I like what works on me and then bringing that into the world has really shown to be a, a great magnet I have to say <laughs> You know, you're not the first one to say, to mention, to talk about shaming. Mm -hmm. I recently had a talk with someone who is a life organizer, a professional declutterer, and the person who helps, you know, first solving your psychological urges to accumulate, buy more, and so on. And then people are drowning in this um, masses of things that they don't use. They, they don't even remember they have them. And this is something she said, like, I base my work every day with every client. I communicate without shame. I don't say you should have. I don't say, haven't you seen, didn't you know? I say, it's okay. We accept this. We solve it. We move on. In this negativity, especially in 2020, continuing through 2021, the pandemic, lockdowns, uh, lots of negative and dry statistics also, like that many uh, dead, that many contaminated, sit home, um, masks now end up in the oceans. How in that negativity, health-wise, environmental-wise, and so on, psychologically, how to navigate your way as a business owner, as also as someone who wants to, to be vocal, but positively vocal about changes, how to find your way and how to find, I would say, your tribe, your crowd, where are these people, how to find them, how to communicate 
ecologically? That's also a, a really good question. I think it boils down to authenticity because most of the people in the environmental field are negative because they're doing not only not because they like it, not because they enjoy it, but they're doing what everyone else is doing. And they come into the field, especially uh, younger people, they want to change something. And especially with the uh, increase of interest in the startup scene, uh, there's an increase, uh, a growing culture of people who are interested in, in innovating the system, but also who are interested in going through different ways of solving different problems quickly. And uh, that speed uh, is what differs them from the previous generations who kind of took their own pace, did things in a more, uh, more slow uh, way. And then in the middle of that, you, those young people can choose either to adapt to the system or to bring the way in which they uh, construct their message, what they want to do um, into the world. Social media are a great example of that. YouTube is a great example of that. Blogging, podcasts, all that um, starts with an intention. So what was your intention when you uh, started uh, this podcast? My intention was to stop uh, retelling people what I was doing in my professional work. So first 10 episodes are really what are really the documentation of my three years in the corporate position. Then my intention changed. I realized how much I don't know. And I started to expand the circle of my knowledge by interviewing people from the areas of life that I couldn't even imagine exist. For example, one of the first interviews one was on Green Office. Mm -hmm. What is it? I don't know. Tell me. And then I'm like, okay, oh, maybe I can do, I can create a green office example pilot project in the organization I'm working at. And then so on and so forth, sustainable finance, sustainable bed sheets, um, construction materials, and so on. So for me, this was the way to touch the rest of the world. And while I was learning it for myself, I was also sharing it with the people. Now, by the way, people from the last time I counted, 105 countries are listening to this podcast. Well done. That's zero great. ads, zero sponsorships, just me and my wonderful guests such as you. But Thanks. still, there is a lot of anxiety. You cannot say there mm -hmm. isn't. Even in people who are mm -hmm. seemingly positive, mm -hmm. they want to do good things, they want to transmit a good message, they meet with anxiety globally, I mean, mm -hmm. not just me sometimes. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, that's uh, there are some things that uh, this uh, here's the reason why I asked you uh, this question. I said authenticity, and authenticity means showing the good sides and the bad side as well. Uh, and you mentioned something in your answer that is vital to what I wanted to say as well, which is you were you realize that there's a lot of stuff you already don't know and wanted to explore further. So it's finding a tribe comes down to being authentic, including showing examples of eco-anxiety, uh, being uh, open 
and showing curiosity instead of uh, egomania if you don't know something. And that's a huge problem as well, especially research has shown it, there's books on it. And also when I did research for my master thesis, uh, I could see that I addressed the, through my master thesis, I addressed the topic of um, the work of Montenegrin NGOs in the field of biodiversity protection. And there's a lot of organizations, they are NGOs, but you call them this person's NGO, for example, Anna's organization. So it's not an organization, it is a synonym for the person who's leading it. And then sometimes it can also lead towards people who become volunteers, also treating it as working in the, for the property of that person who is in charge, not for the cause. So that can happen if you become too attached to what you already know and well, refuse you to have become a very more... strong personal brand. Yeah, that's different. Yeah, that's that's different. I mean, to have a strong personal brand, uh, there's people in Montenegro who have a very strong personal brand, but when they gather a, a lot of volunteers around them, a lot of people around them, people feel empowered. Like they are part of, for example, Anna's group, but not employed by Anna. Not working for Anna, but working with Anna. There's a big mm -hmm. difference for that. Uh, there's a big difference in that. And it also has to do with how, how open you are to welcoming new people, to welcoming the fact that there's people who know what you don't know. And there's always going to be stuff that you don't know that you won't be an expert for. So there's that as well. And then relating to uh, eco-anxiety is, again, authenticity. For me, one of the things that I did online that has been the most successful thing so far, one of the most successful things so far, uh, has been a series of posts real, uh, on eco-failures. I called it in Montenegrin, it's eco-promashai, uh, eco-failures, where I talked. Each was a story about things I missed from the perspective of an environmentalist. For example, the time I threw away the food because I put too many spices and I had to throw everything, the whole batch, uh, into the trash. Yep. And then the time I was going to be a moderator at an event that I organized that was uh, an eco-conference and I was to moderate a panel and I realized I had no suitable attire for that for my weight at the time and uh, but it was already late the event was tomorrow and nothing was working except zara and the, the, yeah you those fast fashion uh fast fashion shops so i entered zara like a guilty person and then browsed around and then bought them and I, I stopped being guilty about it like after 10 or 15 times of wearing them because I, th at that point I already felt like, oh, okay, now they are becoming something sustainable because I've been learn uh, wearing them for a longer period of time. And that, and then of course, the times that I couldn't evade you uh, getting a plastic bag in a shop. So things like that. And that opened the discussion that shows that mistakes are acceptable. That shows that anyone at any level can join in. So that has also helped. And then for that type of transparency, this is normal, we keep going, is also what I apply to eco-anxiety as well. So for me, it's a process. I mean, it happens. 
it's not the time where there are things there's negative types of con there's types of content that make me feel like i'm not welcome in the environmental circles because they're structured in a you can't sit with us kind of way and that's what i don't want to be that's who that's who i don't want to be i don't want to be that person i don't want anyone to feel like they can't contribute now do they feel like they can contribute through my platform or others that's another question but i want to be the person that publishes content that is inclusive now whether or not someone likes my approach that's a different thing and the eco anxiety is something we live with i mean it comes in waves in tides and it ebbs and and flows and the sooner a person accepts that the easier it's going to be and then at the same time the more transparent they are and that again brings us back to the authenticity part when you're transparent about having an anxiety attack feeling unproductive feeling unmotivated feeling overwhelmed with the amount of problems the severity of the problems if you're transparent about that as well chances are higher that someone's going to recognize the struggle and then reach out and then is going to pull you out of how you're feeling and orientate you towards slowly picking up the pace contributing in some smaller ways uh if you can at the place where you're at under full blown eco anxiety attack you just gave me a brilliant insight i realized that people when they learn about my profession oh what do you do i'm an environmentalist they get scared for you know oh my god i'm wearing a fur coat what will she think of me and you know in in autumn 2020 i worked with um the stylist to redo my wardrobe everything was uh, not inspiring joy how uh, using marie kondo's words <laughs> and she she came back to me the lady came back to me with the map of style and somewhere there was a a blue winter fur coat and first thing she said was like I know you told me you want a minimalist lifestyle you want a minimalist wardrobe and you're an environmentalist the eyes like this scared but I swear I found this one it's made of uh, artificial fur like it's artificial like and then I was like oh but I don't judge you I I don't judge anyone and never in my posts or in my communication I was like don't do that oh how dare you buying actual for it does not inspire me but i'm my own person yes i wouldn't buy a natural fur coat yet if i had one from my grandma who got hers from her grandma and i would be you know the fifth generation to wear it yes i would do that and i would do it happily because in this case this actual natural fur coat would have less weight for the environment than the artificial one that exactly. i would be wearing for just my own probably lifetime maybe even less than my life less years true so i was true. like no you look at things in complex but then you know you just made me realize how important is to have an open dialogue to not scare people by who you are oh uh, plastic bags versus paper bags 
there is no one right answer that I can give you. I don't like either of them. I personally go with my own bags, be it plastic, please go ahead, be my guest. If you're using them for 20 times, uh, 30 times, reusing them for your uh, veggies and fruits, there is no problem about that. But definitely, definitely, I, I see that people are scared to do anything because they're scared of doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's true. And th there's two, uh, two good sides to being more transparent about all aspects of, of how we do life, how we do work, how we do activism, uh, whether it's a hobby or work. So it's all intertwined. First of all, you give yourself permission to be public about making mistakes as well. So it has that liberating effect on you. And it also has eliminates the chances of someone coming to you and saying, oh, but you're throwing that away and you're supposed to be an environmentalist. And you can always say, I'm transparent about it. There's no, there's no worries, uh, especially in the, now we're coming back to the, the place of the digital space where everything seems so wonderful, so photogenic, so perfect, so ideally constructed uh, to show real life with all its ups and downs is a rebellion on its own. So there's that side. And then there's that side uh, that you mentioned related to inclusivity. Uh, I have, most of my friends actually aren't from the environmental circles. There are people I've met when I was a child, while I was studying journalism. So they're in different uh, branches, working usually on completely unrelated things. And even they said that after, and also fa like fa family, for, for everyone watching, as people from the Balkan Peninsula have the habit of, and the culture of really relying on our big families, on our aunts and uncles, for us, the family is, is the whole deal, uh, all tens uh, of people. Even family members like my cousins said that after seeing that series of posts on eco-failures, they felt more comfortable when I was visiting because they felt they didn't feel the need to like hide away the plastic bags because Angela might be triggered or things like that because I wasn't triggered even before. But before I had to individually come and say, no, it's okay. No, you can't meet, eat meat in front of me. No, no, it's okay. Yeah, you can carry your plastic bag. No, I know you will go shopping in a shopping mall. No problem. I'll accompany you. I just won't buy anything. So things like that. And it's worked wonders. It's really worked wonders. That's amazing. What are your aspirations and dreams, business-wise, environmental-wise, for 2021? For 2021, well, uh, EcoCorean is registered as a consultancy and as a publishing uh, business. My goal, I already have ebook in PDF that's free to download uh, on how to communicate uh, environmental topics related to fight against detrimental projects in the online space. And uh, my dream for 2021 is to actually publish a hard copy book. So uh, actually a paperback book made out of Forest Stewardship Council certified paper and that's recycled and soy ink and to kind of dive into that aspect of education through content that is going to be aimed for the wider audience that not only can we discuss 
uh, in the book club, but also people can use as a manual. So it will be a title probably related to something from the field of sustainable habits in the household, uh, because in Montenegro we're having huge uh, problems with waste prevention with waste disposal with illegal landfills so uh, all things like that uh, so a book probably on zero waste uh, lifestyle we will see how it goes but i'm very excited so that's the plan and then uh, my other plan is because my goal is to address this area and i like to go outside as well i like to travel i like to collaborate and to participate in this type of projects i i love it uh, while at the same time i feel like this area where i live needs more focus and to do that it needs our languages so if i were lucky to uh, expand the team next year uh, i would love for that to be a person speaking albanian who can translate the course into albanian language and who can start uh, publishing the content that uh, i create and that hopefully we will jointly create in albanian language that will serve uh, not only albanian speaking people in montenegro but also uh, people from albania kosovo macedonia so all over the balkans that sounds wonderful <laughs> thank you really About zero waste, you know, when you said um, you want to publish a book, is it going to be something applicable specifically in the Balkans region? I assume the situation with waste management is something like in Ukraine, where you'd rather die than actually leave to the point when the government does something about waste management on a global scale. Uh, the land, The landfills are overfilled and so really the only way is to go zero waste and to do it as collectively as in scale as possible in uh, Montenegro what is the situation with uh, with uh, waste management not zero waste but with waste management on a regional level Oh, uh, well, the situation is very, very bad. We have huge problems, actually. In fact, recently, uh, the report has uh, been uh, published that shows that out of all the Mediterranean countries, Montenegro is the one contributing mostly to the pollution of the Mediterranean Sea by plastic waste. So that's on us. And the amount of waste that person creates in Montenegro keeps increasing year after year, which is also uh, a very concerning piece of information. Uh, at the moment, e that number is around 2.5 kilograms per person per day. Uh, we have to take into consideration that that is related to the amount of waste that has been collected and Uh, not the amount of waste that is being illegally dumped. So we don't have any idea uh, on the amount of that type of waste. Uh, now in the times of the pandemic, I have to say another uh, problem that has been shown uh, and uh, that has me worried is the improper uh, disposal of medical waste uh, used by the uh, public, which is uh, the face masks and the gloves. So although it's for all of us, it's not only for the people working in medical institutions, it still counts as uh, medical waste. It still needs to be um, uh, destroyed properly and treated properly. And um, we can see face masks be ending up 
in the water in the waters uh, of Montenegro. We can see it on the street, uh, in the parks, and it's not a pretty picture. So uh, there are initiatives. There's an increasing number of initiatives who that are working on this problem. We have an NGO that's called Zero Waste Montenegro that. Uh, addresses waste prevention and that even brought Bear Johnson, so the person who created the whole concept of zero waste lifestyle, and they uh, were the platform that uh, enabled her lecture in Montenegro here in capital city a few years ago. Uh, but it's still in uh, picking up very slowly. Uh, again, because of the, the main problem with all environmental prob uh, topics, and that is me as a person, and especially in the Balkans, we have to take into consideration the uh, increasing number of people who are struck by poverty, the, the uh, number of people who take loans is also increasing. At the moment, uh, based on the data from 2019, each third person who is employed, uh, who has an, a type of income, has a loan. Uh, in Montenegro, which is a really, really big number. And the all that is pointing us towards a direction uh, that is very well described in the book Utopia for Realists by uh, historian Rutger uh, Bregman. I'm sorry if I butchered his name. And he says that people, when they perceive a lack of something, they operate in a scarcity mentality. They start talk, thinking only about the thing that they don't have which is easy to understand, especially if that thing is putting food on the table, uh, securing that uh, the children can have access to adequate ed education, uh, things like that. And um, especially now, in this time, it's also an additional problem of worrying whether or not I'll lose my job in the next wave of maybe self-isolation, things like that. So in all that, to come and talk about waste to the average person seems also kind of insensitive, unless you tie it with the ways in which that person can also address the things they perceive as scars while solving environmental problems. So uh, it has to do with promoting maybe some ways of saving money by recycling, uh, of uh, saving money by shopping in bulk, unpacked, uh, unpackaged produce, and uh, saving money, maybe even making a living through uh, using things that have previously been discarded as materials, so upcycling things, uh, in, uh, collecting uh, content for recycling. So there's, there's a lot of ways in which this can be addressed, but I don't see a way of it gaining more momentum unless we tie it with the way uh, in which people can really satisfy their elementary needs at this point. You know, I recently watched a video on um, environmental tips, rather, you know, how, how it works in Sweden. So mm -hmm. here, for example, in Ukraine, we do not collect organic waste. And mm -hmm. I interviewed someone on, on the podcast about uh, vermicomposters, so the composters with worms, uh, quite um, an avant-garde topic here. So it's, it's not very common, not common at all, to be honest. Mm -hmm. So Sweden, uh, they have the composters for organic waste in the block of apartments so you can live in your own apartment and down in the basement they collect 
um, different types of waste separately. One of those types is organic waste. And what I particularly loved is that there, there is an information board that shows the cycle. So you put your organic waste in this container, then it goes to that um, factory, let's call it this way. Uh, it transforms into biogas, and this biogas gas is used in the public transport. So not only you blindly put it, uh, put your valuable stuff, uh, trash for treasure, they say, and you have zero idea where it's going, what's going on afterwards, you know, who is making money on your waste? But you literally see, okay, my public transport will cost me this much less uh, if, if it runs on biofuel. And I contribute to it costing this much and not more. So you mm -hmm. really see the closed loop. So again, back to environmental education, back mm -hmm. to uh, visuals, back to infographics. Mm -hmm. I know what I am doing. I know where it's going. And I know how I am personally going to benefit from doing the right thing, you know, financially, as well as, you know, doing simply doing good for the planet. So I really, really love this example. And this is something I think we can all take and implement where we are. Mm -hmm. Okay, that was a little mm -hmm. bit, uh, <laughs> a little bit of a turn into waste management, but yet it is about education. And it is, mm -hmm about the focus of our today's episode. One last question that I always ask my guests is, what would be one piece of advice you would give to the listeners of Sustainability Explored? Since my presumption is that if they are here, that means that they are already interested in environmental topics and that they are probably even working and being employed with an organization or a business related to uh, sustainability. My uh, idea for them would be to just sit down and think about the way in which they are they have been and they currently are communicating environmental topics with people around them so far, both at home and through their work, and then draw a line. And then after that line, think about where they want to go with that communication and see if any adaptations should be made. And if yes, what? Do uh, you need maybe more transparency in the way that you, about the way in which you do your work? Uh, do you need um, more uh, easily understandable language that makes people feel like they can really understand uh, what you're talking about and not only uh, feel maybe inadequate when they read and see a few words they don't understand, they push, uh, push away and don't come back to your content ever again because they're afraid they will be constantly reminded about their inadequacy of consuming it. So um, also, uh, do you is your content visible? So as I mentioned, is it sitting in an Excel table somewhere? Are these percentages that are important to you that you want people to know really visible? Are they uh, presented in a uh, easily understandable way, in a shareable way, so to say? So in a way that people can memorize, like it's easy to memorize that an average person in Montenegro creates about 2.5 kilograms uh, of trash per day. Uh, so things like that, 
whenever you're doing something, draw out the main things that the average Joe can take and tailor that to to, uh, the direction in which you want to go. That's amazing. Thank you so much. Thanks Thank so much you, for Anna. taking your time to join us today at Sustainability Explorer to share with the listeners and a couple of closing remarks again for the listeners. If you have any questions for me or Angela, don't hesitate to reach out on LinkedIn, on our websites. I will leave the, the Instagram page and the website of Angela's company in the show notes. Reach out, ask your questions Uh, then share with anyone who you think might benefit from listening to this episode. Share on your social media, uh, leave a review on the platform you're listening on. If you wish to take your review to Podchaser page, I will reply to you in person as I always do. And uh, finally, yes, challenge me with your questions, topics, suggest guests, become a guest yourself. And this was Sustainability Explored episode number now attention everybody episode number 77 season seven (laughs) can you believe it (laughs) with angela jurashkovich thank you so much anna and thank you everyone for your attention thank you thanks for listening for being with us today and until next time next thursday take care stay sustainable bye bye